that's when I really started writing on Medium and just like telling people what's really going on because I feel like so much of it is a facade. Oh yeah, things are great, you know, up and to the right. And I'm like, no, homie, I know what's really going on. You need to tell the story so people feel less alone. I personally believe about bringing the humanity back to this space. If I know you're having a hard time, I can at least help you, right? And so many people are hiding their hard times. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews-Okome. So let's get started. Hey, hey, guys, welcome back to the show. Today in the guest chair, we have Mandela S.H. Dixon. Mandela continues our theme of being an entrepreneur on your own terms. As a six-year startup veteran, she specializes in helping anyone from part-time hustlers to full-time founders accelerate their business and achieve their dreams. As a former Division I soccer player and professional educator, Mandela began her career in Silicon Valley in 2011 as a startup founder backed by K-Port Capital, 500 Startups, and Imagine K-12, which was acquired by Y Combinator. After that, she led a global entrepreneurial program called Startup Weekend Education, which was acquired by Techstars, that spanned six continents and empowered thousands of entrepreneurs to launch edtech startups. Most recently, Mandela worked at venture capital firm Capor Capital, where she supported the success of over 120 tech startups and launched the Founders Commitment, a first-of-its-kind initiative teaching founders how to bake diversity and inclusion into the DNA of their early-stage startups. Today, Mandela has shared her frameworks for success on over 65 stages, including TEDx, Google, and Facebook. And she's also received several recognitions, including being named to the Forbes 30 Under 30 list, LinkedIn's top 10 voices in venture capital and startups, and Medium's top 10% of writers. In late 2017, she launched Founder Gym, an online training center for underrepresented founders who want to build successful tech startups. Incorporating best practices from entrepreneurship, education, and sports psychology, Founder Gym offers an innovative approach to developing the world's next generation of great entrepreneurs. And today, Mandela will share how her own experiences as a founder and working at Cape Capital has made her a champion for underrepresented founders. Let's get right into it. Welcome to the show, Mandela. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Likewise. So I always like to ask this. In your own words, who is Mandela S.H. Dixon and what does she do? Oh, uh, in my own words, I am an entrepreneur. I like to consider myself a very authentic entrepreneur and that the process that I go through in building my business, I share candidly on various channels, whether it's Instagram or Twitter or blog posts. Um, But the company that I'm running right now is called Founder Gym, and it's an online training center for underrepresented founders, teaching them how to build tech startups. Got it. And I just love what you are building, which is why I was so excited to have you in the guest chair. It's like so in line with what Side Hustle Pro is all about. Uh, but before we get there, I want to take it back a little bit. I understand that, you know, coming out of undergrad, you actually went into the education field. So how did your early upbringing influence that career journey? 
Yeah, well, I never knew that I was going to be an educator. Honestly, I was like a comms major. I studied interpersonal communications. At one point, one of my professors told me I should try to pursue a career in like a news anchor role on TV or something. Um, I just really didn't know. And at the time when I was graduating from Pepperdine University, I went to a nonprofit job fair and there were two booths that I was interested. Well, actually one booth that I was interested in talking to, which was the Peace Corps. And so I was actually planning on joining the Peace Corps after undergrad, but right next door to the Peace Corps booth was this other booth called Teach for America. And at the time, I had never heard about Teach for America. I didn't know anybody in it. And so as I learned more about the mission and um, it's uh, the ability to kind of be in front of a classroom, impacting different children's lives, that resonated with me at the time. And so I went the route of Teach for America. And then during my time teaching, probably in my third year, when I had then got a master's in education and I was beginning a PhD program in early urban schooling at UCLA, I actually decided to build a startup that was based off of some of my lived experiences in the classroom. Okay, so tell us about that startup, because I'm really interested in your background and you share very candidly on Medium, as you said, all of the trials and tribulations that you went through. But, you know, share what, um, you know, what were those early steps you took to start to develop that business? Yeah. Well, just like I said, with education, that was never on kind of my roadmap for my life. I kind of stumbled into it. And the same thing happened with entrepreneurship. I tell people all the time, I like bumped into it or maybe it bumped into me, right? (laughs) Depending on how you look at things. But long story short, I was dating a guy at the time who actually had the itch to get into entrepreneurship. And he found out about this event called Startup Weekend. It's a 54 hour hackathon, like the original hackathon. And this event that he was applying to happened to be an education focus. And so as he was coming up for ideas, he asked me, you know, based off of my lived experiences in the classroom and then also playing like a lead teacher role working with the administration, if I had any problems that really could use solving. And one of the problems was the teacher hiring process, because as I was trying to replace myself when I was leaving the classroom and entering into my PhD program, I realized what a horrendous process the teacher selection avenue is in the sense that it's so archaic in the way that they're still screening resumes and trying to find the best teacher for the students. And so I came up with this idea to utilize video and digital portfolios to get a better sense of who is a quality teacher before deciding to hire them. But I also saw it as a tool for the teachers to better showcase themselves because this was back in 2010, 2011, and LinkedIn was just kind of popping off in the business sector, but really hadn't penetrated education at all. So what we ended up forming at this event and ended up winning first place. And that was kind of my big aha moment. Like, oh my gosh, I had never even known about entrepreneurship. I don't have any entrepreneurs in my family. I've never taken a business finance or technology class, but I'll tell you this much. I love it. Like (laughs) I, I, I loved it because it was so opposite actually of what I was getting into with my PhD program, which PhD program is really about research and kind of hypothesizing about different theories and what could work, what couldn't. And entrepreneurship entrepreneurship was kind of, no, we're going to get it done now. We're going to build something, put it out in the market and see how people react. So it was more my flavor with kind of the speed at which it moved to solve problems. And it just opened my mind up to this whole new avenue of making an impact. And I ended up dropping out of my PhD program and bootstrapping this until we got our first round of funding up in Silicon Valley. That is awesome. So you win your first competition right out the gate. Like what happened next as as you were bootstrapping? What what did that entail? 
Yeah. So like you said, I, I've written a lot about this because I felt like a couple years after it all, I had to purge it. Yes. But, um, you know, building a startup is extremely hard. And, you know, I actually believe that my naivete, my lack of knowing what it really takes to build a startup from the ground up was actually an advantage to me because me not knowing what I didn't know kind of made me just kind of wide eyed and bushy tailed and ready to go in and think I can conquer the world, which is what I needed. I needed that type of confidence and self-belief to even push forward. I didn't know at the time, you know, one in 10 startups fail within two years, right? I did not know these odds and just how difficult it was. And so because I didn't know that, I was kind of blinded to the realities of it. And I just trudged ahead, but it was really hard. Like I'm uh, like, I cashed out my retirement. I maxed out my credit card bills. At one point, my co-founder got his car repossessed. I mean, it was a lot of financial sacrifice in that first year to try to make this work. And even, you know, trying to get a team, the whole point of a startup is to scale as quickly as possible. And in order to scale, you really need other people to help kind of free you up to do different tasks so that, you know, multiple types of the business can be serviced. And so long story short, even trying to recruit people um, to the team when we couldn't pay them, you really have to leverage the equity, which is your ownership of a company in order to incentivize people to join it early. Because it's such a big risk, they're not getting cash immediately. Um, that was actually something me and my co-founder were really skilled at, is we were really skilled at articulating our vision, getting other people to buy into it, and getting people to work with us very early on so that we could reach certain milestones and meet certain metrics that made ourselves more attractive to an investor that eventually invested. It's interesting that you bring up equity because I, I was just having a conversation with someone recently who very early stage building out the business. It's literally not even a business yet, Mandela. And, you know, he was just talking about the fact that, oh, he's he's trying to buy back one percent of equity. And, you know, it just led me to think, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs who, like you said, can't pay people, but mm -hmm. don't know if they'll end up sticking with these people. And now they're giving away pieces of their company to people who mm -hmm. may not be a good fit later yeah. down the line. Yeah, I think it's a really important thing to consider for sure. I mean, I'll just say this overall before I answer your question directly is like business is people and you need to learn how to master like human psychology in order to really understand how to build a business because your business in terms of its scaling ability really is oftentimes dependent on your ability to enlist other people and tie what these individuals care about to what you care about. It's all about finding that bridge. And so you really need to take the time to understand who these people are. Are they incentivized by cash? Are they incentivized by equity? Are they incentivized by an opportunity to not be bored with a nine to five and really flex their creativity and muscles in new ways that they wouldn't otherwise be able to, right? And so you really have to learn how to tap into what they care about and then try to present an option for them to participate in your startup that, that aligns to what they care about. And so with that said, I, I firmly live by try before you buy it. Right. And I, if you're getting in a business relationship with anybody, like I highly recommend you take some time to work with them before you decide to give them any sort of equity or even a full-time role. Like you can do contract to hire, temp to hire, et cetera. But there are certain provisions and checks and balances you can put in place, not only to protect yourself um, and, and be, and, and be considerate about the equity you're giving away, but also be considerate of the other person. Like you are, 
basically with a startup, you're signing up to invest your time in this for the next five to 10 years of your life. Right. And so if you're picking a stranger off the internet to come work with you, right? Like how do you know that they're going to be around for five to 10 years? Right. <laughs> yeah. So you really need to put checks and balances in place. So aside from trying it out before you confirm like this relationship is good to go for the long term, I also recommend like when you're doing your paperwork and giving equity away, there are things called like vesting. Vesting basically means that there's a period of time that has to pass before someone actually gets the equity. So for instance, if I make a partnership with someone and I decide to give them 5% of my company, but it vests over four years, that basically means that they don't get the equity, the 5% until they're actually there for four years. There's also one more thing called a cliff, which is basically when like you first get your first piece of that equity. So for instance, if I make an agreement that I'm going to give you 5% of my company vested over four years with a one year cliff, that means that you don't even start collecting any equity until you've been there for a year. And then the timer starts counting down where you will get all of it over piece over piece over the four years. So does that make sense? Yes, that's great. And I think a lot of people will benefit from that advice. So thank you. So, you know, when did you ultimately decide to move on from this early business and where did you go from there? Yeah. So we ran the, so with the business, we bootstrapped for a little under a year. And I think this is important to call out because a lot of people will build something and they'll just run out the door thinking that they can raise venture capital. And it's so far from the truth. Like oftentimes you have to bootstrap. Bootstrap basically means you are self-financing the business, whether it's your personal savings, whether it's you having some side hustles, you know, um, whether it's you having friends and family who are pitching in. But for the most part, you're building building up your business until a point where you have an MVP, which is a minimal viable product that you have some users actually using the product and keep using it. And then thirdly is that you have some revenue. Now revenue is dependent on which type of company you're building, but overall investors uh, for the seed round, which is the initial round are normally looking for those types of metrics in order to determine if they're investing you. And so what we had to do is we had to build a business up to that point. And then we ended up starting to pitch it and we had a really Really hard time in Los Angeles. We were an ed tech company. It's 2011. At the time, Los Angeles investors were really investing in media and gaming companies. And so it wasn't the right market for us to try to pitch an ed tech company. What we learned was that a lot of the ed tech investors are in Silicon Valley. So that's when my co-founder and I made the trek up there. And we literally said, we got two months. We got two months. We're going to pack a suitcase, live with this cousin for two months and hit the pavement and try to raise this money. If we don't raise the money in two months, guess what? We got to go get a job because we can't finance ourselves anymore. Neither one of us come from backgrounds where we have affluent families or people who could spot us a couple thousand dollars, none of that. So whatever, you know, we kill, we eat and we got to eat. So ended up getting investment from Kpoor Capital first. And then after that, 500 startups. And then we were admitted into Imagine K-12, which at the time was basically uh, the YC, Y Combinator version of ed tech. And so uh, do you want me to keep going? Or yeah, there? no, I'm listening. <laughs> So was this like, you know, in the spectrum of capital these days, was this like, you know, a few hundred thousand? Like how, how much? Yeah, a few yeah. hundred thousand. 
Exactly. Mm -hmm. And right now, and this is another thing, this is 2011 or mm -hmm. 2012, excuse me, a, a spring of 2012, this happened, but now an average seed round is really around like a million, sometimes even 2 million. So it's really, again, people have to understand the market changes too, and where you live all and where you're raising, I should say, actually determines kind of what the expectations are for how much like a seed round is versus a series A round. Like there's different expectations, but it's it's really influenced by the market that you're in. And so because Silicon Valley, it has so much money in terms of that it's investing, it just um, has more money to invest in the startups, mm -hmm. especially nowadays, as more people have learned about this industry. And so long story short, I'm in Imagine K-12, with my co-founder, and this is a new experience because now we're going, and this is really important for people who are interested in accelerators or incubators. Um, you basically are going from kind of having blinders on and only focusing on what you're building for your business and your team to now being exposed to a set of other businesses. And you kind of get a behind the scenes look at what other founders are doing. So it's very beneficial in that sense in that you now can compare your level of growth to other people's level of growth who are kind of on the same timeline that you are in terms of when they started. A downside sometimes though to some of the accelerator programs is that they could put pressure on you mm. to grow at a pace that may not be the healthiest for your company or they may push you in a direction because you have to understand from the accelerator's point of view, at the end of the three-month accelerator, which is pretty common, is there's something called a demo day, which is kind of a, a showcase of the uh, founders in the portfolio and investors come and they watch kind of these three minute or so presentations. And from the accelerator's point of view, they want you guys to look as good as possible after right. those three months so that the investors invest in you. Because why? Well, that says that, hey, the companies that came through this accelerator are bomb.com and look, they're getting invested by blah, blah, blah. And then that helps them get the next round of, of founders in their portfolio. So um, anyway, the pressure of it can all, sometimes make you make decisions you wouldn't otherwise make. And I, I kind of fell prey to that, you know, and, and hindsight is 2020, right? I didn't necessarily know this at the time, but after reflection and years of more experience, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if I would have made the decision at the time to pivot the company because when we went into um, the accelerator, we were called demo lesson. And all we were was an online um, platform that basically helped teachers get jobs. Okay. What we ended up pivoting into was more like a LinkedIn model where just on LinkedIn, yes, you can get a job, but LinkedIn is really about online branding, right? Branding yourself as right. a professional making connections, right? And so we added those features where you could brand yourself and other people could discover you. And there were groups and there were AMAs and forums. I mean, it just became a hodgepodge of so many different things <laughs> that really one of our downfalls was that we lost focus, right? Uh, we were doing too much. And what it takes to be a really good CEO is focus. You have to say no 10 times more than you say yes to opportunities because you have to focus on being great at one thing or a few things you can't be good at a bunch of different things because you're just not going to grow at the pace you need to go that really the investors expect you to. Right. So a key things I learned is just kind of once you take venture capital, you really need to understand that this is no longer your business. This is our business, right? And the investors have certain expectations for milestones you need to reach um, in order to get the next round of funding. And then it goes like that on and on until hopefully you sell or you IPO, which is going public 
Right. And so anyway, we pivoted and then we operated for about another year or so. And then we made the hard decision to shut down our company. And, you know, I can talk about it like this, like it's nothing right now. Like, yeah, we shut down our company. But at the time, of course, it's extremely hard, right? It's kind of like your, you know, your dream has been right. deflated. And it's also your ego, your pride, you know, all the things that come along with putting yourself out there exactly. and, and failing. It's, it's not easy when you're going through it. But understand also that it's a part of the journey. Like most, like I said, one in 10 startups fail within the first two years. So I'm not saying, hey, go in with the expectation of fail, but I am saying understand that this is a part of the journey and most mm-hmm. successful entrepreneurs are serial entrepreneurs. Right. It means that this isn't their first rodeo. They've done this before. They've learned some hard lessons. Now they're going back out again and applying them. Right. You just reminded me that one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard is just that failure is not a stamp. It's not you know, the classification, like you are a failure, like it's a moment in time Mm -hmm. and then you move on and you learn from it. So, you know, that definitely reminded me of that. And one of the things that is very unique about you and, and one of the reasons I wanted to have you in the guest chair is not only do you have the lens of being a founder and raising money, but then also you served as a portfolio services director at K4. So talk to us a little bit about that transition from being the entrepreneur to being on the side of supporting entrepreneurs. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I appreciate you asking. And there was a little bit in between from me shutting down my first company to me joining Cape or Capital. I think there was about a two year break um, where, no, I wasn't like on an island somewhere relaxing. I was busting (laughs) my butt because like I said, I got to eat. So I got to get back to work and get a J-O-B. So what I ended up doing was I actually, so my, my story is so interesting because it's like I've had these experiences, but then I've gone back and taught other people the lessons. I've learned. So like I told you at the beginning, you know, my entree into entrepreneurship was via the program Startup Weekend. What ended up happening is that as word got around that I was shutting down my company, Startup Weekend actually recruited me to become the global director of Startup Weekend Education. So basically take my lived experiences from going from a classroom teacher to a venture capital-backed startup founder and teach other people how to do this around the world. And so I ran that organization for two years. We scaled it from like two to six continents. I mean, it was, it was a really, really fun time. And then that company actually sold to Techstars, which is the largest accelerator in the world. And so during the time when my startup weekend had sold to Techstars, I had the opportunity to either join or take time off. And, you know, at that point, that's when I really started writing on Medium and kind of just like keeping it real and telling people what's really going on, because I feel like so much of it is a facade that people have. And they keep telling themselves, oh, yeah, things are great, you know, up and to the right. And I'm like, no. No, homie, I know what's really going on. No, you're struggling. And part of it is you need to tell the story so people feel less alone. Right. Because oftentimes entrepreneurs are type A personalities. They're very driven people. They're very hard on themselves and they're very competitive. But at the same time, I personally believe about bringing the humanity back to this space and understanding that like, this is just a part of the human journey. This is one way we're expressing ourselves and trying to make an impact on the world. And there's going to be hard times. But if I know you're having a hard time, I can at least help you. Right. And so many people are hiding their hard times. So anyway, long story short, I started writing a lot. And then it was funny because my original investors, <laughs> Mitch and Frida from Kpore Capital, were reading my blog posts online. <laughs> and I didn't know this. You right? Never know who's like, reading. I- yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, and I'm like keeping it real, keeping it 100. And I'm like, oh snap, there you know. And so one time I was at Cape Port Capital for some event, and Mitch pulled me aside, and he's like, Mandela, I want to talk to you. And I was like, yeah, what's up, Mitch? And he's like, um, I didn't know you were going through all this. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, I've been reading your blog post. I didn't know you were struggling so much. You could have told me, you know, we're a founder friendly firm, da da da. And I'm like, oh yeah, you know, Mitch, I appreciate that. I said, but also, you know, put yourself in my shoes. I'm a, I'm a woman of color. Nobody around here looks like me. I have never taken a business tech finance class in my life. Right. I had a huge case of imposter syndrome, right? Like I was afraid of showing people that I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Right. A lot of the time. And so I, you know, I think it was healthy for him to kind of really hear the lived experience of what it's like to be in someone who's an outsider to this industry um, and how they're trying to put on and, and trying right. to keep up with everyone. Um, and it was also helpful for me to hear that there are venture capital firms out there who are really founder friendly and receptive and want to be a real mentor to founders. And so long story short, they ended up talking to me about joining k Capital as their first portfolio services director, which is basically a, uh, a really unique role at a venture capital firm where um, basically after an investment decision is made, meaning the investors decide to invest in a new company, I would basically take over the relationship from there with the founder and I work with the founders on different aspects of their business needs. Um, but I did a lot around diversity and inclusion. So that's actually where a lot of my time was spent because k Capital has a portfolio of about 130 companies. And what we did was we launched something called the Founders Commitment, which was the first ever venture capital backed diversity inclusion pledge that basically said, we will not invest in your company unless you uh, vow to uphold diversity and inclusion, meaning that you're going to hire people from diverse backgrounds and that you're also going to build an inclusive workplace. So that was the first time a venture capitalist has ever tied giving money to actually your values around diversity and inclusion. And so um, then I worked with Dr. Frida Kabor Klein to build out programming for that because it's one thing for people to make a promise. Right. It's another thing to make sure that they actually uh, uphold the promise. Right. So I created with her... And then later, Ellen Powell, who joined the team, a lot of custom workshops and resources to help these founders, whether they're white men, are Asian women, are Black and Latinx founders, um, how to make sure that they're baking diversity and inclusion into the DNA of their early stage startup. So yeah, that's how I got to Cape Work Capital on the VC side. You know what's so awesome about the actual programming that you develop? It's one thing to make everyone sign a pledge, but you know you can't take for granted that some people just don't know how. They don't know where to begin. Like you can't, they can't just go out there and like, you know, just start making things diverse and inclusive. So I just think it's awesome that K-Poor and, you know, you built that out while you were there. Yeah. Hey guys, it's Michaela here with a quick word from our sponsors. Okay. I have a side hustle hack for all to hear, and it's called Skillshare. You want to know how I grow as a businesswoman? I keep learning. There's not a week that goes by that I'm not checking out a refresher class or a deep dive tutorial. And my go-to is Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 18,000 classes in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it. So whether you're trying to start a side hustle or scale your business, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. In the last month alone, I've learned how to set up my email capture landing page on Squarespace and how to boost my email marketing using MailChimp, all through Skillshare. 
And now, Skillshare has a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right, just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro to start your two months now. As side hustlers, we're in the business of turning our ideas into value. The thing is, we need time to cultivate fresh ideas, which is exactly where our sponsor FreshBooks can help. FreshBooks makes cloud accounting software for creative professionals that's so straightforward to use. You'll save hours every week and have more time to let your creativity flourish. If that's not enough incentive, the FreshBooks platform has been rebuilt from the ground up. They've taken simplicity and speed to an entirely new level and added powerful new features. I can't cover them all, but sending a branded invoice in under 30 seconds and enabling online payments in two clicks is a good place to start. There's also a new projects feature where you can invite employees or contractors to collaborate and easily share information, files, and updates. If you're listening to this and not using FreshBooks yet, now would be the time to try it. FreshBooks is offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for all my listeners. No credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash sidehustlepro and enter sidehustlepro in the how did you hear about us section. So I also noticed because I've been following you on social for a while, I've you know definitely followed your journey and you never stopped sharing. You never stopped being transparent. You were out there speaking at different conferences. Was that something Kapoor encouraged? Like how did you balance building your personal brand while also working a job? Um, I don't know if they, I wouldn't say they encouraged it, but I was transparent about it. And I think that's important. I think that one, and this is again, when I, I gave the advice about if you're going to work with anybody, I, th- I, I think it's important that you, the founder, like are real with people about your expectations and what you want. And that you ask the people who you're, who are potentially joining your team to be authentic, because when people aren't authentic sooner or later, the <laughs> truth comes out and it's a mess. Okay. So, so I, I, really try to be authentic. And so even when I took the job at Kapoor Capital at the time, I was running a blog called, um, oh my gosh, the startup couch. And so I was running it as a blog where I was getting a bunch of founders to write. And so I was very transparent with Mitch and Frida about that. I was going to continue this, you know, even when I'm at, um, Kapoor Capital and they were supportive of that. So I think as long as you're transparent with people about who you are, you know, you're putting the ball in their court to then make a decision. Right. So, and I, and I think different people have different relationships with their employees if they're employed somewhere. And I think that's for them to kind of decide, right? But I always say that if what you're doing shows up on the front page of the New York Times, are you going to be okay with it, right? And mm-hmm. if not, then you may not be wanting to do it, right? So um, so I think that's a case-by-case basis, to be honest, because I also know founders who are working on their business on the side and they're not telling their employer, right? So I can't, I don't know if I can tell people to do that, but right. I think that, you know, just consider the consequences and be willing to take on that risk if that's a decision you're making. Um, but for me, yes, I was transparent about it. And, you know, to address the part of like, I've never stopped, I've never stopped sharing. I keep putting myself out there. Part of it is, I think that I realized the importance of personal branding, probably just maybe not last year, but I think starting in 2016, because I really do believe that influence is the new currency. 
And I believe that if you're an influencer, meaning that there are a significant amount of people who are following you on social media, who are subscribed to your newsletter, like that's power, right? Because it's basically like, no matter where I go in my career trajectory, I have kind of my tribe that I've been building over the years who are willing to come with me, right? And willing to support me and willing to buy into what I'm doing at that time. And I think it's important to invest in your personal brand. And I think in this day and age with social media being at everyone's fingertips, I don't think you have an excuse not to, right? I do think it's easier than ever, um, but you have to invest time. Like people need to understand it's a job, right? Like I am conscientious about everything I put on my Instagram. I'm conscientious about what I tweet now, right? Because as your following grows, you just need to make sure the messages you put out there actually align to your values and how you want people to see you and and what type of tribe you want to attract. Now, that doesn't mean like being fake, but also understand it's curated, right? Like we all curate our lives and what we want people to see of ourselves, right? Exactly. Some people may say, <laughs> some people may like Nadella, TMI, right? You're sharing a little too much. You're singing in a, in a, in a towel right now. Okay? But, but, that, but that's who I am, right? And, and I'm, I'm okay with showing that. I'm okay with standing in my, my authenticity at this point in my career. But I understand that at the, the importance of at this point in my career, because I do believe you have to be really considerate of how you are. If you are going to be if you want to be employable, I should say this. If you want to be employable, you need to be cognizant of what you're putting out there because it may or may not align to employers that you are hoping would hire you. Right. right now, if you're in a situation where like for me, I've decided like I'm doing my own business right now and I, I'm OK with that, then, hey, whatever I put out there, as long as it's aligned to my business and my personal values, I'm OK with it. If it doesn't jive with other big, you know, Fortune 500 companies, I'm OK with that because I'm not looking for a Fortune 500 company right now. So um, I think that it's important to invest in it. And I think it's important to keep showing up. Right. Like you were talking about failure, not being a stamp. Right. That like forever on Mandela's resume, it'll be failure. Right. (laughs) 2013 failure here. No, like failure is a part of the journey. And I think that one of the things that's been my uh, advantage that I didn't realize it at the time, but I never stopped showing up. Like I never stopped showing. I kept coming. I kept coming even in the darkest times. Like I keep showing up because I do think it helps me personally, even during typical time to remind myself of who I am and that pre- people appreciate who I am. Sometimes it's just like, I just need that boost of confidence. So I'm going to go out there and be on this panel, even though I'm having a shitty day behind the scenes. But also it's because I believe in momentum and I believe in the power of building momentum because as soon as I put myself out there for one thing, you never know who's in the audience or who's watching. That's always led to something else and then something else. If I would have never started writing on Medium when it just came out and I think 2015, I would have never probably, you know, maybe me and Mitch and Frida never would have reconnected and I wouldn't have been at k Capital. You know, if I would have stopped, if I wouldn't have kept going and doing my little video series, maybe Wired Magazine would have never picked me up, right? So because I keep putting myself out there, more opportunities keep coming. I've been reading about your new venture founder, Jim. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you've been very intentional about how you've positioned and described this program and just how you want to present and show up in the world with Founder Jim. So why was it so important to you, one, to develop it, but also to make sure that you were shifting the paradigms? 
Um, yeah, well, Founder Jim is like my background, like we talked about so far is as an educator, but before I was an educator, I was actually an athlete. I was an athlete for most of my life from the age of four to when did I stop playing collegiate soccer? Um, I think 20, you know, I played soccer like at the most elite levels at the number one division in, you know, the, the country. And I was the captain of the team. So I really started to understand the value of my training as an athlete has played into other things I'm able to be successful at in terms of discipline, work ethic, teamwork, leadership, visualization, right? Sports psychology. And I never really like totally connected the dots, but if to further reflection, I started to see like, wow, like that's one of the reasons why I feel like I am so tough and I keep, you know, I can bounce back from failure because I, you know, um, because I've been trained to do that even as an athlete. And then with education, I've been trained to teach people, right? Concepts they currently don't understand. And during during my time and my lived experience as a founder who doesn't come from this world and as I've learned to navigate it and as I've gotten higher and higher and higher and I've gotten into rooms that, you know, I never thought I'd be getting into rooms into like I'm meeting with people now, you know, I realize that there's such a gap in the information being shared, a gap in the in the network, a gap in terms of the capital, the money flow to certain groups of people. And, you know, I actually understand that I'm an insider now and I feel like it's my responsibility to be a bridge for people who are not on the inside because I fundamentally believe that entrepreneurship is a survival skill. And I fundamentally believe that tech entrepreneurship is the survival skill of the future. If you can learn how to make money online, you are going to be okay, right? And I, I really wanted to create Founder Gym as the manifestation of my personal lived experiences, the best practices I've pulled from not only that, but everything I've seen. I've worked at this point with hundreds of founders in the United States, all over the world with my experiences with that Cape War Capital and Startup Weekend. And so I'm taking some of these best practices and trying to create the best training program for people who are inspired to kind of pursue this route. And just like I've always tried to do, it's about keeping it authentic and keeping it genuine. Like I don't sugarcoat anything and I don't ask the trainers who I invite to join and and, um, and train our founders on, I ask them to keep it 102 because you're not helping anybody if you're not telling them the truth, right? And so we have very authentic dialogues about what it really takes, what it's really required, how things really work so that people can be better informed. And at that point, when you're informed, you can make a decision. You can decide that, hey, I think this route is for me and I'm gonna keep on trudging ahead using this great information I just learned from the founder gym. Or you may decide to opt out, like, Double tap, boop, boop, I'm good. <laughs> I am so good on this. Thank you for letting me know what it really takes to raise money for a venture, you know, raise money for a venture capitalist. And, good. and I, this is not for me. And that's great. Like that, how awesome is it that I can help people get clear on what they want and what they don't want for their life? Right. And for me, that's really the mission of this. And I, I believe that learning is a lifelong process. And so that's what another reason why I call it a gym and not a school. Mm -hmm. It's like in a gym, you constantly got to get it up in there. Right. To maintain what you have right. or to grow what you have. Whereas a school, there's this paradigm that, hey, as long as I take these classes and I graduate, I'm set. And it's like the furthest from the truth. So that's why I call it a gym. And that's why this is kind of like 365 um, day a year, you know, 
trainings and programming that we're going to build up to offer founders. It's yeah, it's genius. I love the name. I love what it's about and what it stands for. And yeah, we it definitely is a gym. Like you, if you stop working out, if you stop mm-hmm. working on your business, like that's it. Like you're a flabby mess. So exactly, <laughs> stop playing. Right. Come on. Well, walk us a little bit through how it works and like who is the ideal candidate. So these are people who have the aspiration to build a tech startup. And a tech startup is basically a company that you have the intention of making as big as possible, almost by any means necessary. And I think that's important for people to understand because if you're building a tech startup with the intention of, I mean, a tech startup is different from like a small business in that a small business, you kind of go at your own pace. You're the boss. You don't have to answer to anybody else. And if you want to impact a hundred people, guess what? You can just impact a hundred people and you're okay with that. If you want to impact, if you want to have a pizza shop on the corner and have X amount of revenue coming every year, that's great. A tech startup on the other hand, actually utilizes technology for the purpose of scale, get to as many people as possible, as fast as possible. And the role venture capital plays in that is venture capital is the tool that founders can use, which is money to basically go faster than they could have otherwise. So for instance, if a business is a young tech startup and they have a team of maybe four people, right? If they're able to build out an MVP, which is a minimal viable product, a basic tech product, get some users, maybe get a little revenue in and present that pitch to a venture capitalist and a venture capital believes in that vision, the venture capitalist may give them a million dollars. Well, where does that million dollars go? I'll tell you what, it doesn't go to the salaries oftentimes of these people, which is where people don't know, is that oftentimes these tech startup founders are taking very low salaries because the money is supposed to be used to make the business go faster. So the money is used to hire more people more times than not. If it's a hardware company, meaning like it's an object, sometimes that oftentimes that money is also built in terms of the product. But if it's just a software, meaning it's just like a phone app or a website, the money is used to hire more people. So the whole intention of kind of setting yourself on the path of a tech startup is that you are trying to just grow this as big as possible because there's an incentive to build it big so that it can either get purchased for hundreds of millions of dollars or that it can IPO for hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. So it's for, for me, Nikayla, the it's, it's about your intention. Okay. What kind of business do you want to build right now? And currently Founder Gym is focused on this type of founder. Now, will it always be that way? No, no, no. Because I believe in helping people find their path. So for the first couple cohorts, we're starting with this. But beyond that, we'll be expanding and servicing other types of founders, whether they're small business, Businesses, lifestyle businesses, but this is just kind of the lowest hanging fruit right now. So that's what we're focused on. And I, I think it's interesting that, you know, you don't take equity in the businesses that you bring into the cohort. So can you share a little bit more about uh, how you envision your own business and revenue model? Sure. So yeah, um, most accelerators, like those three month models, whether it's Y Combinator, which is also known as YC, Techstars, 500 Startups, AT&T Accelerator, there's a bunch of them that have been following the same blueprint. And those are more like venture capital firms, to be honest with you. There's a fund of money. They, so they actually have millions of dollars um, that they can invest in these companies. So what they do is that they buy stock in the company. So when you get admitted into YC, basically they, I can't 
can't, I, I can't remember what the exact percentage is, but let's just say it's 6%. They're basically owning 6% of your company um, thereafter and they'll give you, they're paying you. So they might give you a hundred K for that. Right. And so you're giving up your company for this money and then also for mentorship in our model. We are not a fund, right? Like, I don't know. I'm not sitting out looking around my house right now. Like I don't see a hundred million dollars. Like I could just (laughs) invest in these companies. So no, I'm not setting myself up right now to be an investor where I'm investing in these companies. I'm setting myself up right now to be kind of an educator and training these companies. So rather than taking investment, we are taking a cohort fee. So it's basically a hundred dollars a week for those four weeks, which is a very nominal fee um, that we're charging for the kind of level of training and the level of network that we're offering the founders admitted into our program. So that's how the current model works. Okay. And I noticed that you also mentioned that you see a part of it being free education in the future, like once you're able to. um, Yes. Yes. So talk a little bit about that. Like what's your ultimate vision? Yeah, my ultimate vision for this is I want to democratize this information. I feel like this information is being held by a small, small group, mostly of white men, um, very, very wealthy, who kind of have a monopoly on this game. And I do, like I said from the beginning, um, I believe entrepreneurship is a survival skill. And tech entrepreneurship is kind of a wave of the future. And I believe in giving as many people as possible access to this information. So what we're doing right now is we're kind of building building out the curriculum. You can think of it as like private beta, right? I'm kind of in private beta right now where I'm working with select founders, massaging the curriculum, getting it right before we distribute it to the masses. It's like kind of like, hey, I'm cooking this up. I want to make sure I get the recipe right before sharing it with everybody. Um, but yes, there's absolutely a plan to provide this information to the public um, in the future. I don't know exactly the timeline on that. It'll probably depend on if I'm going to distribute the information once a particular content area is done. So for instance, if this was like a chapter in a book, I might put out one chapter at a time, or I might wait till the whole book is done and then put that out. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. Now we are going to transition to the lightning round. And you basically just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? (laughs) Okay. I'll try my best. (laughs) All righty. Number one. What's a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? The internet. Um, (laughs) No, I'm not even joking. Like, because this is actually something that I had to learn the hard way. You know, I know a lot of people in this industry and it's very easy for me to like email people or call people and ask them for help. But I got a real quick um, reality check when they were like, hey, Mandela, there's something called the internet. You should use it because the information is out there more times than not. Google it. Google it. It's out there. You can figure it out. And part of becoming a great founder is your ability to figure it out. So my answer, honestly, is the internet. Number two, what's the best book or podcast episode that you've consumed this year? Ooh, Masters of Scale. Um, by Reed Hoffman, who was a founder of LinkedIn and also I think a partner at Greylock Ventures. There was an episode with Brian Chesky, who is a co-founder of Airbnb. And it's so good. Listen to it. All right. I'm going to link to that. Number three, who is a black woman entrepreneur who inspires you? Um, my girl, Morgan Debon and Jessica Matthews. Um, I know them both well, and I just think their vision for who, what they want to build and also their confidence and seeing that vision through is really inspiring. Number four, what is 
your biggest piece of advice for emerging founders? Um, I think it's get your money right. Like this is the first time I've actually said this um, because normally my advice is something else like, hey, make sure you know what you want to do before you do it, like be clear. But it's actually get your money right. And I think this is important for underrepresented founders in particularly because um, what, you know, what I've realized is like an, an investor is not going to trust you to manage their money if you can't manage your own personal finances. And so you need to make sure your personal finances are in order because when you do a startup, you are taking such a a big risk to make it happen that more times than not, you're going to be depleted of your personal finances to make it come to fruition. So you need to make sure you have your own safety net in order which to kind of just bounce back on um, because it can be really financially taxing to do a business and you need to make sure you have your own personal finances in order first. And lastly, number five, as a seasoned founder at this point, what advice would you give to your younger self? I think enjoy the ride, right? Like I think sometimes you can get so caught up in trying to get to the next level, the next level, the next level that you don't really stop, look around and like smell the roses, like realize everything you already do have and really operate from a place of gratitude and abundance every Mm -hmm. day. So that would be the advice I'd give to my younger self. That is an awesome way to end. So what's the best way that we can connect with you after this episode? Hey, so you can, um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn all under Mandela SH. Um, so you definitely follow me there. I'd love to connect with you. Um, and if you are really, uh, interested in the founder gym program or learning more, obviously you can go to foundergym.com to find information and you can also contact us at hello at foundergym.com. All righty. So thank you so much for joining us in the guest chair today, Mandela. Oh, thank you so much, Nikayla. This was wonderful. I really appreciate the opportunity. Awesome. And there you have it. This episode was brought to you by FreshBooks. For your free, unrestricted 30-day trial of FreshBooks, visit freshbooks.com slash side hustle pro and enter side hustle pro in the how did you hear about us section. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to sidehustlepro.co forward slash side hustle corner to get my weekly side hustle diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at side hustle pro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the Side Hustle Pro Facebook community. Go to sidehustlepro.co forward slash mastermind. And as always, if you love the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week.